Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, October 1st, 2017, on the basis of Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. So all by himself, a man starts a protest. He sees abuses and injustices going on, and he wants to see them corrected, so he begins a protest. And little by little, the protest spreads. It grows. Pretty soon, it gets to be so big that even religious leaders and political leaders are weighing in on it. More than a year passes, and the protest is still going on. And then, suddenly, the conversation changes. The topic that everyone is talking about is no longer the topic that the man was originally protesting about. Instead, it's something else. In other words, the issue is no longer the issue. The issue has become something different. You'll be relieved to know that what I'm talking about has nothing to do with the American flag or the national anthem or racial inequality. It has nothing to do with NFL players kneeling or presidents tweeting. I'm guessing that many of you had more than your fill of all of that this past week. But what I am talking about actually, interestingly enough, sort of follows a very similar pattern. It was October 31st, 1517, when a man acting alone, a man who was a German monk and a university professor named Martin Luther, started a protest. He saw injustices and abuses going on inside the Roman Catholic Church, and he wanted to see them corrected. So he started a protest, not by kneeling, but by nailing 95 theses, 95 statements for public discussion on the door of his church in Wittenberg, Germany. And little by little, the protest spread. It grew. More and more people started talking about it. Eventually, religious leaders and political leaders were getting in on it, too. Almost a year passed, more than a year passed, and the protest was still going on. And then in the summer of 1519, Martin Luther squared off with a Catholic theologian named John Eck to debate the things that Luther had protested. And that's when the conversation changed. That's when the topic that everyone would be talking about was no longer the topic that Luther had originally been protesting about. That's when the issue was no longer the issue, but became something else. Namely, from that point forward, the discussion would be dominated not by a question of who was right and who was wrong, but rather by the important question of who gets to decide. Who makes the call? When questions related to faith, related to God, related to religion come up, where do the answers come from? By whom and how are those matters settled? That became the issue. And if you ask me, in a lot of cases, that's still the issue today. We look around at our world and we certainly see no shortage of debates, disagreements about spiritual, religious matters, matters pertaining to God, matters pertaining to faith. Some of those debates are between churches and society. What should marriage look like? How do we define human life and what should we do to protect it, especially life inside the womb? Some of those debates are between churches and the scientific community. 
How did the universe and everything in it get here in the first place? Are miracles, supernatural events even possible? Some of those debates are between churches and other churches. Should we baptize infants? What is Holy Communion really all about and who should be allowed to participate? But maybe most often, and closest to home, very often those debates are between people and churches. At church, I'm told I'm supposed to believe this, but, but I kind of want to believe that. At church, they tell me I'm supposed to do this, but, but instead I, I kind of want to do that. Whoever those debates involve, and whatever those debates involve, might I suggest that the issue is still not the issue. The issue is not all about, first and foremost, who is right and who is wrong. In fact, even before that question can even be asked, there is another question that first needs to be asked and needs to be answered. And it is still that question, who gets to decide? That's the question we're going to consider as we turn our attention to these opening verses from Romans chapter 3 today. And as we do, realize that, that in the opening chapters of Romans, Paul is not trying to settle some hotly contested religious debate that was going on in his day. Rather, he is simply trying to very clearly and methodically set forth what Christianity is all about, what is at the heart and core of the Christian faith. And as he does so, he doesn't just say what Christianity is all about. He also mentions by what authority he is able to do so. In other words, he doesn't just say, here's what I say. He also points out that the law and the prophets say exactly the same thing. Now realize that for Paul, that, that term law and prophets was kind of a technical term for what we would call the Old Testament, which was the entirety of the Bible that Christians in Paul's day had. So when it comes to matters of the Christian faith, when it comes to what Christianity is all about, who gets to decide? Who gets to say? Paul's answer would have been the Bible. This is just one little glimpse, one little insight into this idea that we call sola scriptura, scripture alone. It's not an entire exposition of the topic. You heard a little bit more of that in the second reading from Second Peter. But it what Paul says here in these verses definitely reflects the idea. And the idea is basically this, that every single word that is found in this book is rightly called God's word. God is the true author of this book. And because that is the case, this book is the sole authority to which we submit ourselves in all matters of faith. Whatever the question might be, who gets to decide? Paul's answer would have been scripture alone. All these centuries later, our answer still is scripture alone. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, isn't that sort of a given? I mean, isn't that what Christians are supposed to say, that they believe what the Bible says, right? Well, realize that, that back in Martin Luther's day in 1519, as he stood up in this debate with John Eck, it was anything but a given. In fact, when it came to that question of who gets to decide, what was really a given is that the answer was the church. The church gets to decide. You believe what the church tells you to believe. Why? Because the church tells you to believe it. And it was at that debate in 1519 when Luther first stood up and said, no, no, the church is not the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority 
is scripture. In fact, here is one of the things that he said at that debate. A simple layman armed with scripture is to be believed above a pope or council without it. Realize that in 1519, not anything in all the world that Martin Luther could have said would have been more controversial than that statement. As one historian put it, that statement, that idea of scripture alone was sort of like a rock being thrown right into the middle of a perfectly still pond that as soon as it hit the water, it sent out ripples. It sent out waves that just keep, kept spreading and spreading and spreading. This idea of scripture alone is one of those ideas that was at the heart and core of the Reformation, one of those ideas that forever changed the church and really transformed the history of Western civilization along with it. Well, but it's 2017 and not 1519. And we're sitting here in a Lutheran church, not a Roman Catholic church. So isn't scripture alone, again, kind of a given, something that we can take for granted? Well, the answer is still no, but maybe for a different reason. You see, in our day and age, what is sort of a given, when it comes to that question of who gets to decide, what's sort of a given is that the answer is, well, I do. I get to decide. Nobody's going to tell me what to believe. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to trust my feelings. I'm going to listen to my instincts. I'm going to use my reason. I'm going to build on my experiences. And even if I admit that, that maybe God should be involved in that equation somehow, I, I certainly don't need some dusty old book to tell me what God says, right? God, God is just going to speak to me directly. And yet, strangely enough, when God speaks to me directly, everything that he says is in perfect agreement with what I think and what I feel. Imagine that. That is far and away the more common trap that people fall into today and the one against which we need to be on guard. If you don't believe me, then the next time you're involved in, in any sort of discussion that involves spiritual matters, listen to how many times sentences begin, even sentences that come out of your own mouth, Listen to how many times they begin with the words, I think, I believe, I feel, rather than Scripture says. Scripture alone still makes waves. It makes waves with the world around us. It makes waves within the church. It even makes waves inside of our own hearts. It is much more difficult than just simply believing what you believe because the church tells you to believe it or because some pastor tells you to believe it. It is much more difficult than just listening to your feelings or going in whatever direction your gut instinct tells you to go. But realize also that it is infinitely better. See, we tell ourselves that we want to be captain of our own ship, so to speak, that, that no one is going to set our course. But realize that when we adopt that mentality, really we're just making ourselves subject to a whole host of influences from the world around us, from the things that we see on TV to the things that we hear and read about on the internet to the conversations that we have with, with trusted friends and good companions, all of those cultural influences, it is impossible to detach ourselves and to truly act independently of those things. And so, yes, I suppose we can make ourselves captain of our own little ship, but realize what kind of ship that is. That is a little aluminum rowboat that is sitting out in the middle of a big lake on a very windy day where you have no rudder and no motor and no oar and no sail and you are just at the mercy 
of whichever way the wind is blowing or whatever way the current is taking you, even if that current changes from one year to the next, from one day to the next, maybe even from one hour to the next. But Scripture alone, submitting ourselves to the authority of this book, gives us an anchor. It doesn't matter which direction the cultural or instinctual current is blowing. Scripture keeps us firmly planted in one place. Scripture alone gives us something that deep down our hearts truly long for. Our hearts long to be still. And Scripture gives us that. But why the Bible? Why the Bible? I mean, doesn't every religion on earth have its own holy book? And doesn't every religion claim that their holy book is the holy book that comes from God? So how in the world can we Christians say that our holy book is the one holy book that truly and really comes from the one true God and therefore ought to be listened to? You're probably aware that people will object to this idea that Scripture alone is the authoritative word of God that can and ought to be trusted. And when people object... What do we Christians have to say? A whole lot, really. There's a lot that can be said, but these verses in particular point to one specific response. Again, keep in mind that Paul is not trying to settle some hotly contested dispute. He is, however, trying to set forth the basic truths of the Christian faith. And whether that is what Paul is saying here in Romans, or whether that's what the law and the prophets also testify, Paul is saying that all of Christianity is about one simple message, that righteousness comes apart from the law. In other words, in order to get right with God, in order to be saved eternally, that happens for a person apart from the law, without obedience to any specific list of prescribed commands. In fact, we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks because as you heard, Paul gets to this next. Our righteousness before God, our right standing with him and our eternal salvation comes not from our obedience to the law, but from Jesus' obedience to the law. It comes not from our perfect submission to Scripture alone. It, it comes because Jesus perfectly submitted to Scripture alone. Our right standing before God comes not from what we do, it comes from what Jesus did for us. Realize that that idea is completely unheard of in all of the religions and all of the spiritual ideas that have ever existed in the history of the world. You look at all of the religions that exist in our world and they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. The deities have different names. The concepts of the afterlife vary from one to the next. The specific set of rules and acts of worship that must be followed are usually unique. But at their heart and core, they all have one thing in common. Righteousness comes through the law. The way that God or the gods become happy with you is through your obedience to their commands. No one has ever come up with the idea that righteousness before God comes apart from the law. In fact, not only has no one ever come up with that idea, day after day, year after year, humanity proves itself to be incapable of coming up with that idea. Because even when we are confronted with that idea, 
we have a tendency to rebel against it. We have a tendency to kick against it. Even for people who have known and believed that idea from the time that they were in diapers, we still have a tendency to slide away from it and slide back into thinking that our right standing before God comes through our obedience. People haven't come up with that idea on their own. In fact, people aren't capable of, idea, of coming up with that idea on their own. So where in the world would that idea possibly come from? If it isn't human, it must be divine. Look no further than the contents of this book than to know without a doubt where this book came from. Not only does the content of this book tell us something about its divine origin, it also tells us something very important about our obedience to our submission to it. It reminds us that the thing that is most difficult about submitting to the authority of this book is also the most beautiful. You see, if we fully and completely submit ourselves to this book, then it is inevitable that there will be times when what we are reading in this book runs completely contrary to our own instincts, our own feelings, and to what the people around us are saying. But rather than that giving us a reason to not listen to what this book says, it actually gives us all the more reason to listen to what this book says. It demonstrates, once again, that what we find in here is not human opinion. It is divine revelation. That's what, Luther, that's what gave Luther such courage as he stood up at that Leipzig debate of 1519. When Luther said that the church is not in charge, but that scripture is, it certainly made him unpopular. In fact, as a result, he was called a heretic. He was labeled an outlaw really for the rest of his life. His life was on the line because of the things that he was saying. Where in the world did the courage to say them come from? Luther said this, it is always safer to listen to things which are contrary to our own thinking than to listen to those things which approve and applaud our ideas and are in agreement with us. For there is no more faithful testimony to the fact that one's thinking, his word, and his work are from God than if they are blamed and condemned by man. The most difficult part of Scripture alone, submitting to the authority of the word of God, is also the most beautiful. The very fact that it runs contrary to human wisdom so often in so many places is actually testimony to its divine origin. That's the beauty of answering that question the way that we do. Who gets to decide? Scripture alone. When we make that our answer, even if it makes us unpopular, even if it's difficult, even if it puts life and limb at risk, when we make that the issue, then everything else has a funny way of no longer being an issue. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.